passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Matt, can I tell you what really bothers me when it comes to baseball analysis? Tell me. It's when context is lacked. There is no context for the conversation or the information, and it's just sort of presented as an equal without providing said context. You had a recent conversation online where I think there was quite a bit of context missing. And it was a discussion, an interesting one, a topic that I think we were going to dive into anyway. But looking at how development differs between the Dominican Republic and the United States and the context that I feel was missing is the individuals and what their lives are like, what the opportunities are, the opportunities to play other sports. There's a variety of factors at play here that is a big differential between the Dominican uh, development path and the American. So we're going to kick it over to you now. You can sort of give us some background, some context, as I as I said earlier, and see where it goes. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, first off, that's not something I do. I don't really get into online conversations because I feel like a really important part of online dialogue is, uh, or that's missed in online dialogue, is like nonverbal communication. And people get really offended really fast. So I try and avoid any kind of conversation on topics on threads or anything like that. But this one um, is a, a topic that's kind of been, yeah, it goes all the way back, you know, five, six years ago, we're sitting in an office in uh, Durham, North Carolina. We're talking about um, gold medals per capita, you know, for the winter Olympics and how, you know, countries like Sweden and Norway for their population size have way more medals than the United States. And, um, yeah, I think my, there's so many different ways we can go with this and this isn't going to be a, a one-time pod here. This is probably going to be a, a two or three parter, but let's not, let's not get lost in the sauce here. Uh, I'm going to, and I'm going to call this dude out cause I feel like it's necessary to call the dude out. Sam Eads. He goes by at Sam Eads or I think that's how you say it, 13. You can look him up on uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter, uh, Australian flag performance physiologist at Tread 
throwing is cool and fun. If it's not broken, make it better. All right. So Sam, uh, you're Australian. Uh, I'm not going to make any assumptions that you've never been to the Dominican Republic. Um, I'm not going to make any assumptions that you're not overly aware of how development works in the United States and how baseball is a country club sport. We'll get into that in a minute. But, uh, quote, I don't know about this one in regards to Americans still dominating the talent pool. Uh, U.S. population 331.9 million, DR population 11.12 million. Let me just say, anytime someone drops a population number, that's like one of the few things that's like, all right, let me put on my hat, let me put on my boots, lace them up and go to work because population stats uh, can be incredibly deceiving. And that's what I felt like I needed to provide context to here. So uh, he says the fact that Dominican players account for 11% of all MLB players with that population discrepancy tells me that maybe we should be paying more attention to how they develop players. Uh, again, you know, not to call them out because we've got Australian friends, love our Australian friends, but in this case, Sam, you're Australian. I'm not really sure what we is uh, in regards to Americans paying attention to what the Dominicans are doing. Now, as someone who's been to the Dominican Republic uh, and as someone who knows plenty of people that have been to the Dominican Republic and who understands what MLB is trying to do on the international front, uh, I would make a recommendation that we don't try and study what the Dominicans are doing for American development. And I think a lot of it is cultural. So uh, for today's specific topic, we're going to talk about options. Now, uh, again, this is probably a part one and, you know, we could go, I could write a dissertation on this probably, uh, when you start breaking down all the cultural variables that, um, separate what they do in the Dominican Republic from what happens in the United States. So, uh, Jeff, I don't know if that's an appropriate introduction for what we're about to talk about. I do also want to discuss in relation, uh, to this topic, the Bishop Sycamore documentary, which I know you just watched, um, and kind of how that plays a little bit too, but we're going to get, uh, a little bit deep here on, uh, some cultural variables that really play a much bigger role in the development of athletes than, uh, what they're doing when they go to the ball field for an hour, uh, at the age of 12. So yeah, Jeff, um, I don't know. This is, this is, uh, this is, it, hopefully we can keep the, the train on the tracks here. Yeah. Um, but I think we should keep on digging a little bit on, on this topic, um, in terms of the differences with the Dominican Republic versus the United States. And, you know, I think one of the interesting points, we've talked about this, of course, offline, as we do with all of our topics, they typically, um, you know, spawn from conversations that we're having, uh, just based off stuff that we're working on or things that we see, et cetera. So this sort of falls in line with that, but the country club aspect of baseball in the United States. And I think I've talked about this. I've talked about it offline. I've ranted about it offline with some of our guests as well. Sorry, Jack. Um, <laughs> but I live, I grew up in a very working class New England town. I grew up in Taunton, Massachusetts, sort of, you know, Southeastern mass, kind of nestled between the Rhode Island border and Cape Cod. And it's an area where there's not a lot of money. Um, I grew up upper, upper middle class. I grew up in one of the nicer neighborhoods in this town. Um, and we were the people in that town that played 
travel ball. It wasn't normal. I played travel hockey. I played travel baseball. There was a variety of opportunities there, not only for myself, but other people with you know similar means. I grew. I moved to a very upper middle class town where I live now in you know uh, the metro west of Massachusetts, so just west of Boston. And it's a very different head. This is a very affluent town. There's a lot of money. Guys that um, would have never sniffed Little League in, in Taunton <laughs> play travel ball here. There's a lot more travel ball teams. There's a lot of private coaching. And I think with, with my oldest, the thing that was like a cultural shock to me a little bit was the amount of players at like seven, eight, nine years old who had private hitting lessons and private pitching lessons and baseball lessons, et cetera. Not a group situation, not going to camps like we would have gone two years ago, but individual training. And I think just when you look at what's changed about baseball is it was a very blue collar working class sport for most of its history. And I think in the last 15 years, we've really seen this transition to travel ball, money, um, it's become the kind of sport like lacrosse was, or even hockey at certain points in time where it was more affluent families who could spend the money to do all the things, participate in the tournaments, etc. And we've talked about this on other, other podcasts, getting at bats is so important. And when you can pay and put in, you know, and, and, and buy time, buy opportunity to take those at bats, it's a huge advantage. And I think it's one of the reasons that there's, what, 171, 172 Dominican players in the major leagues right now. There's over 1,000 American players. We know about the population and everything else. I don't think that the track record here isn't working. I think that it is pushing out certain groups of people based on their academic, economic needs. Yeah, and I think, there, there, again, there's so many different tentacles to this conversation. Uh, but I, we could talk about cost of participation and we can talk about country club sports in the United States. The United States is a capitalist society. And I think that that's where this conversation starts. And being that we're a capitalist society, uh, we have this thing called industry. And when industry gets growing, industry is, you know, something that just, it, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And unfortunately in this country, unlike many other countries, um, Youth sports, amateur sports is an industry in this country now. It's probably upwards of $20 billion at this point. I believe when I did research on this a couple of years ago, it was over $16 billion and growing. Okay, so when you have an industry that is centered around making money off of kids under the age of 18, uh, you are preying on their largely uneducated parents that like, hey, you know, you just got to get one and then the rest follow in, right? So... That, I think, is largely what happened, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, maybe a little bit more, was the industry boomed, which meant more tournaments, more showcases, more travel sports, um, and it became a moneymaker, and it became a source of livelihood for the people who run these organizations. Now, I'm not saying the people who run these organizations are crooks. I'm not saying that at all. We live in the United States. It's capitalism. It's it's capitalism from, from East Coast to West Coast, whatever industry you're looking at you know what i mean like it's, that's the american dream but the reality is is that baseball softball lacrosse soccer uh you know even basketball to an extent you know all of these sports have become 
travel sports. You know, volleyball is another good example, right? And travel sports means you need money because you need to be able to pay for airfare and you need to be able to pay for hotels and meals and to participate on the team and all of these different things. So let's go to uh, Hunter Green. And I remember right around the time of the, the MLB draft on Hunter Green, I think it was what, 2016, 2017, 2017 draft. Uh, he signed for $7 million, which makes him a 0.1 percenter. Um, a year after the family admitted to spending over $20,000 on the circuit. Okay, so $20,000 for one of the top players in the class to fly around, participate in tournaments, and showcase. Um, that's not out of the norm. That's more the regular uh, than the abnormal. So that's also not outrageous for pre-high school summers. And that's also probably not outrageous for volleyball, which doesn't even have, you know, a, a high level professional sports league. That's, you know, well-known internationally um, on the other end of the line. So and what we're really talking about is like, Hey, this whole like early sports specialization and kids playing one sport year round and this, that, whatever it's because like, the hands out year round and the marketing's out year round and the emails come into the inbox year round and it's a lot of money involved. Right. So I don't really know where I was going with that specifically, but I think something that stems off of that is that if you've got, let's not even go on the extreme and let's say $10,000 a year on team fees and travel and all of these different things for your kid, your kid's showing up to the game in a Mercedes, your kid's not showing up to a game, in a hoopty, they're not carpooling or anything like that. This isn't, you know, 2004 anymore. Like, they have money. They've never had to worry about food on the table. They've never had to worry about, in the summer, the AC not being there. They've never had to worry about, in the winter, the heat not being on. Okay? And every single one of these kids whose parents are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on their kid to play export in the United States, because that's, that's what travel sports have become here right? Those kids have options, right? It's not like, oh, like it's all in on baseball. And if baseball doesn't work out, like don't tell me Hunter Green who had a, a commitment to UCLA if for some reason, like it didn't work out on the baseball field after his parents spent $20,000 on the showcase circuit. And, and he played in, he played his last high school season in a $5 million facility that was built at Notre Dame Sherman Oaks. And his okay. father is, highly successful in Hollywood as well. Highly successful, right? Like this, that's, that's the profile of your high end baseball prospect, right? Especially in Southern California. Okay. Yeah. So all of that to say, let's, let's flip this thing over to uh, the topic of options. Okay. When you don't have options, you are literally and figuratively hungry when you have options like we do in the United States, we're the land of options. Okay. You have to artificially create that hunger, which is really hard to do. Well, I agree. I also think there's other elements to it too. Um, and I think that sometimes not just in this country, but in general, I think that people will um, sort of 
look at the struggle that people go through and you know they they sort of fantasize it they turn it into this thing where it's the reason it's the driving factor behind your success right but we're not looking at all the lack of advantages that you face when that's your reality right that sure there's a lot of guys that are talented enough to make it that have the drive that go to you know that go to academies and perform and come out there's a lot of guys who were talented at 14 who have the drive and circumstances beyond their control within their lives within their opportunities things that break down with their bodies there's so much stuff that happens that like you it's tough to get back on the road you have a lot more chances when you have opportunities that you can screw up in the United States and you could come back work at it and 2 years later you're back Right. And I know that we're going to talk about Bishop Sycamore. I think the quarterback there is like a perfect example, (laughs) you know, um, and he wasn't affluent, but in comparison to someone who grew up wherever in the Dominican Republic. And I think we don't think about not everybody comes from the city. I remember hearing stories about Vidal Brujan and Vidal Brujan was from the woods of the Dominican Republic. You know, so there were things, his experience is very, very different from someone from Santo Domingo. So even then we're looking at things very differently. But the point I'm trying to make is, is I think that there's advantages to each setup, right? And it's about the individual and what the individual does at, at the end of the day. It's just, it's, it's, it's different. And I don't think you can replicate one to the other because you can't replicate those circumstances, those economic circumstances in the United States. You really can't. And Conversely, Dominican players, I think at the same time, have a thinner margin for error, you know, because they are literally trying to survive and not everybody's going to make it. You know, I think about it all the time. There's a guy here locally to me, Matt, great guy, played big time college baseball, played big time high school baseball here in Massachusetts, very affluent. Father owns a big company here out in central Massachusetts. And he's had the opportunity to play minor league baseball and chase the dream until he's 32, 33 years old. He's still in the minor leagues. Guy's been in the minor leagues for 10 years. There's not a lot of guys that can necessarily afford to do that. And that's what's a point that I've always made about guys like that. It's like sometimes, you know, you, you have to like, there's like reality sets in differently for people that are below a certain economic threshold. And I think that that like, that factors into all levels of play and all different sports. But I think we miss that sometimes. It's just like, yeah, it's desperate, but at the same time, those questions, those things that they have to deal with are very different from what American players have to deal with. It's not a reality that they have to face, you know? So I think it it, it can have its benefits in certain circumstances, but I think on the other side of it too, is like, it can be, so stressful and there's so much stuff and we've we've read some awful things about these academies over the years you know it's not necessarily a safe haven you know they're not they're not going to img academy they're not going to img academy let's let's contrast something here okay so jeff uh a 10 year old baseball player here in the united states is a son and and that's that's a son that the parents want to give the world to, so they give them every opportunity to go out and play the game that they love, and they pay for that handsomely. Three hundred fifty dollar bats, tournaments, whatever it is. 
In the Dominican Republic, a 10-year-old baseball player is a commodity and is traded like baseball cards or stocks or crypto or whatever we trade here in the United States to try and make a buck. Okay. At 10 years old, they stop going to school and they go all in on baseball. And that's where their options end. Okay. At 14 years old, that same kid in the United States is still a son and is still playing the game that they love. And they're beginning to explore the possibility maybe of playing baseball in college. Now, college is a little bit of a given for the country club baseball market here in the United States, right? Like it's kind of understood. There's very few kids and there's a few that are not qualifiers, but most kids are committed to go to a division one school and have the academics to go play at a division one school. Okay. So that same 10 year old in the Dominican Republic, that's being traded like a commodity by 14. Now that they're severely behind on their educational trajectory, they don't have another option. So it's all in on baseball from 10 years old or whenever they enter the academy. Now, there are major league organizations that are placing bets on these kids at 12 years old with under the, under the table deals saying, okay, like this is a kid that when he's of age, we're going to sign him, right? That's something that major league baseball is trying to curtail, but that's also a reality is there are kids that are being committed millions of dollars to at the age of 12 or 13 years old in these Dominican academies. Okay. Major league baseball has in the past couple of years, created a uh, trainer partnership program and basically there are certain thresholds or certain standards that trainers need to uphold in order to continue to participate in that program now when they participate in that program they can send their players to major league baseball showcases and this is mlb's attempt to curtail some of the issues there but when you really think about it jeff if you've got a 10 year old that you know let's go you're the boost going here all right and if this kid signs, you get a, a, a really large percentage of their signing bonus, which isn't something that we deal with here in the United States. Okay, Agents don't take 50%, 60%. But agents here also aren't in charge of the kid's food and the shelter over his head and training him to be a baseball player from a young age. Um if that kid's behind on the developmental trajectory, because again, these are commodities, right? They're not, they're not viewed as kids. They're viewed as commodities and they're 11 or 12 years old and they're behind on the trajectory. What do you do, Jeff? You try and catch them up. How do you catch them up, Jeff? Pump them full of steroids. Okay. That's why I don't say it. <laughs> it, it like, look, that's just what it is. That's why major league baseball created the, the trainer partnership program because they want, to incentivize trainers to not do that. Okay. So if you're going to be part of the MLB trainer partnership program and your kids are going to come to the MLB showcases and they're going to be able to participate in these things, your kids are going to be tested. All right. Now, not every trainer in the Dominican Republic wants to be part of that program. And not every trainer in the Dominican Republic currently is part of that program, but that's the reality. Okay, 12-year-old who's behind the trajectory curve, and this is someone that you've been feeding and you've been training for the past two years, and you know because you deal with these kids like they're cattle. Okay, that's what you do. So that's a major issue in the Dominican Republic. Now, again, no venom towards Sam. Do we really want to go to the Dominican Republic 
and put this thing under a microscope and take what they're doing there back to the United States. It's not possible because we don't live in a, in a society with that level of desperation, right? Where that's the only option. Okay. And I'm not saying that like that doesn't exist anywhere in the United States. And maybe this is a good segue into Bishop Sycamore high BS high. If anybody's watched that, we're going to discuss that here in a second. I, one more point, I think but that's yes. probably the one place in the United States where some level of desperation exists where something like that could happen. So Jeff, I'm going to flip it over to you here after I've contrasted sure. the trajectory of a 10 year old versus in, in the United States versus in the Dominican Republic. And, and let's talk a little bit about BS high and kind of that 1% of where that exists in American let's, amateur sports. Before we go in full bore on the, on the BS high documentary, I think I have a nice little segue point between the two. Um, Matt, are you familiar with a company by the name of Big League Advantage? They used to go by Big League Advance. I'm not. So this this company made headlines a few years ago um, with Fernando Tatis Jr. when he signed his monster deal with the Padres a few years back. Yep. And if you remember, there was a percentage of that contract that was paid out to this company, Big League Advance. It was the first time a lot of us within the, wor- the world of baseball had heard about it. I'm and I'm not going to say negative or positive in any sort of fashion it is a what it provides is it provides money for players to train to focus on their nutrition and everything else because as you said there's a lot of hands in those bonuses that are coming over when these guys sign and we're talking about fernando Tatis jr his dad played in the big leagues with albert Pujols. i mean this guy was a (laughs) well-known major leaguer it wasn't like he had a short career like ron you know ronnie uh, cunha senior right this was a well-known player. Um, this guy needed to take this, signed away a large chunk of his contract. He still paid well, whatever. And they provided him with, I forget what the number was, $900,000, a million dollars for him to be able to you know, pay for all of those training expenses to get up to the big leagues. That is not something that Jack Leiter would have to worry about, I don't think. And, yeah. and, and that's just Fernando Tatis Jr. Let's talk about the guys that come from, you know, backgrounds that are far more limited than Tatis's work, that weren't around major league teams, that didn't have somebody to talk to. A lot of them take these deals. And like I said, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to say that it is, um, you know, predatory, but I think that you can look at how these sort of companies come into play and the reason that they exist, even when these guys are signing for these big bonuses, and a lot of it is chasing that dream. And a lot of it is using that dream to exploit people. And I think that was the thing that I took away from the Bishop Sycamore documentary was, and I can't remember the guy's name and I don't think we even need to say it, but yeah, we don't need you to watch it. that. It's very obvious that this guy tried to find the most desperate players, the players that weren't going to have the opportunities. They weren't going to have people around them that were going to give them advice or say, hey, watch out for this. We should try another avenue. They got people who were desperate, who had a dream and wanted that opportunity. And it's what he sells throughout the documentary, even when he's being called out for all of the, the follies and things that he did wrong to these kids, to the people around him, to the people within his own life. 
just to the football world and Ohio football and whatever else you want to say, he took advantage of people constantly. And I think that we forget that when people are chasing dreams and they're so desperate, they're told to do anything they can to get an advantage. And sometimes that's really not very good advice. And I think that when we look at the Dominican player versus the American player, far more of them are susceptible to that sort of thing. And I think that there is a common thread there between a lot of different circumstances, but a lot of low income folks that are coming from tough areas, of the United States that play football, that play basketball, those are sports that are more popular in those areas. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're just look, they're just looking to get out. And that was the thing you really took away from a lot of these kids. And a lot of them did, a lot of them did get out. A lot of them went to college and succeeded despite this, this sort of roadblock or this, you know, speed bump that they ran into. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that kind of sticks with you is it's like, they're, they're playing off of these guys' emotions. They're taking advantage of the fact that they want more for themselves and for their families. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't think the, I think that's the closest thing you probably have to the Dominican Republic of like, this is my one shot. This is my one option. Right. But I don't, I don't even think that it, I think it pales in comparison. Cause like you talked about it, like some of these kids still found a way, like there's still a way for those kids from Bishop Sycamore to like go have a career of some sort. Right. And like some of them went to college. Some of them are currently in college. You know what I mean? Like, that creates options for you to go have a life beyond your sport. That option's cut for the Dominican kids the minute they enter the academy at 9, 10, 11 years old. And then this kind of brings up a different subject, and there's a really well-known uh, current player in the big leagues who just made his big league debut, um, who my business partner talked to uh, last year, Um who basically said like, Hey, I don't know, you know, what can be done for seven, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kids in the Dominican Republic that played baseball. But he's like, basically if you're past your signing date and you, you're unsigned, you're a leper. Like that's, how, that's basically how you're, how you're treated, right? That's how you're treated by the international scouting community. It's like, what's wrong with this guy? Why didn't he sign? Right. Like, so if you're an 18 year old Dominican baseball player who's unsigned, there's, I mean, you don't have a shot. You don't have a prayer. Right. And that's just when a lot of kids here in the United States are coming into their own physically and, and starting to blossom. Like, if you look at, you know, who plays on the 15U national team for Team USA versus who plays on the 18U national team or even their identification processes, the pool of players is entirely different. Because so much happens between 15 and 18. It's a completely different pool of players. But in the Dominican Republic, you're signing at 15, 16, somewhere in there. And at 18, nobody wants anything to do with you. And you're uneducated. And it's really, really unfortunate. And it's sad. And I'm not really sure what the long-term solution to that is. But it's something that... Dominican players having gone through that system are very aware of. I don't like, again, it's just a dead, it's a dead end. If you don't make it, if you don't sign, if you're not affiliated, if you don't end up at an affiliated Academy, it's a dead end. That's just not something that we have to deal with here in the United States. There's no dead ends. There's all to your point. 
there's always another option. There's always another opportunity for something. Well, and let's think about the advantage. It reminded me when you just said that. It reminded me of a movie I saw. I was in college when I saw it. it came out many years ago by the name of Sugar. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. No. Um, but it's about a Dominican player in an academy. Uh, they succeeds. I think he's with the Royals in the movie. It's a fictional story. And comes over to the United States for the first time. It's affiliated and goes AWOL. And I think we forget beyond all that, making it out of, off the island, getting the complex and getting to a full season level. You're adjusting to a totally new culture. And you may not necessarily be in the most welcoming environment either for, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't speak English or speak English well. Spanish is your first language. Uh, you're a kid. You might be 18, 19 years old, 20 years old. Think about being 18, 19, 20 years old and we, pl we plop you into a country, drop you into Brazil to go play soccer, right? And you have to figure out the culture. You, you don't really speak the language. You got to lean on other people that maybe are bilingual that are around you. Um, and I think that we often forget like what the struggle is once they come over here and adjusting and adapting and being in a locker room that might be filled with 75% of people that are from the United States that that speak the language that are totally comfortable here, whether they're from Pennsylvania or Kansas or Washington state, you could plop them in, in Michigan or, or, you know, Mississippi or Florida, and they're going to fit in. There's going to be normal stuff for them. And um, I think that we, we often forget that just in terms of taking care of yourself and doing all that and being on your own, such a young age and not all these guys sign for Jason Dominguez type of bonuses. There's guys that are coming over here that are signing for, under a hundred thousand dollars, many of them, you know? Um, so there's just so many, I think there's so many speed bumps and pitfalls that things can really go wrong for a lot of these guys. And they're way out of baseball quickly versus the American player who can stick around, go live back with mom and dad and work at the, uh, work at the, the training facility that he works at in the off season and get some lessons to put some money in his pocket while he plays indie ball for a year and gets another opportunity to get back into affiliated ball. We don't see that with farm players. You know, they come here, they succeed or they don't. We don't often see them resurface in indie ball or, you know, the college route isn't really an option. There's just so many more opportunities and pathways to success for American players than there are for foreign born players, frankly, you know, Juco. I mean, there's just so many different pathways that you can make it to the big leagues as an American. Even if you do hit a, hit a speed bump, something goes wrong. Even if it's your own fault, it could be an academic or an off the field behavioral issue. There's plenty of guys that have that stuff and are cleaned up by 20 and, and in pro ball by 21, 22, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that kind of, there's a good segue here and it's, you, know, you talk about and it's not even something that I considered until this very moment, getting dropped in a country where you don't speak the native language and it's a completely different culture. But let's also not forget the part where they didn't have the, the personal or emotional development of the average American kid, right? They, you know, they didn't have a normal childhood. They didn't go to school, you know, with a bunch of other kids. Right. So now in, in, I'm only going to touch on this briefly because it's it's a very dark side of the game, right? But when you know you're looking at like a Wander Franco situation 
22 years old. He's at the top of the world, MLB All-Star. You know, he's got a very bright future in front of him. I mean, 22 years old. He had his first kid at 17. Uh, he's got two kids at least. And then he had this incident come up that people can Google if they're not familiar with it. And like, I'm not letting Wander Franco off the hook for what happened, but also let's not forget the, his circumstances probably from when he was a young age. Right. And let's not forget the circumstances that led to like a lot of the issues that occur in major league baseball off the fields are with, you know, foreign players, Latin players. And and again, I think a lot of that is like people don't fully grasp, like people just see headlines. They don't fully grasp that these kids didn't have a normal childhood. They didn't have, you know, a normal role model in the house or, you know, weren't around other kids and didn't, didn't grow up the way that we as Americans grew up. And that's, that's something that I wouldn't trade you know, anything for is the opportunity to grow up in this country. Right. And I don't want to, you know, get too patriotic on anybody, but you know, for all the shortcomings of the United States in the past four or five years, like let's not forget that, you know, we grew up in a place where you could, you know, walk to school and you could have friends and you had an education and then you had all these opportunities. And again, you could really just go and go and go down rabbit holes in regards to opportunities in the United States. And I just don't think people fully appreciate that. I think people want to continue to shoot holes in the flag and say, you know, our country's in shambles, this, that, whatever. It's still much better than, you know, 95% of the alternatives of where you could have been born in this world. So, um, yeah, again, not to get too far in the weeds on it, but, you know, there's there's something to, like, going to school every day and, and growing up around people who, you know, can show you the way and show you how to live and show you how to interact with other human beings. Um, I guess in a, in a way that we deem proper um, that a lot of these kids are missing. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of, of elements to this and just generally, I, I think that because the top players in the game come from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela um, you know, if you look at the top 20, it's not college guys. It's, you know, international players, um, a few Japanese players mixed in, and then a lot of high school draftees from the United States. And their experiences couldn't be more different from a lot of the guys like Acuna or Albies or Soto and some of these other guys that they've run into. And those are the high-end guys, right? Those are the guys that signed for sizable bonuses and had opportunities and everything else, probably from the jump. Um but, you know, we don't necessarily know everything that goes on in many of these academies. And, you know, we've seen over the years multiple um, times where, uh, you know, there's been proven sexual assault on players by trainers. You know, I think we, we miss that sort of stuff. It's dark. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the nasty problem with the United States we don't with baseball in the United States, we don't talk about is just how exploitive we are of players in the Dominican Republic and the opportunities that they get and the system that we've allowed to flourish and exist. And, you know, I think um, it's not something we talk about for a reason, but it's very there and it's as bad as anything that's going on in 
in really any sport. So to glorify it, I think at times is to ignore the pain that it causes and the reality of these people's circumstances, you know? Um, and I think you're right, you know, like regardless of what you think politically about the United States for a baseball playing country, there's as many opportunities here, if not more than just about anywhere else in the world, I guess, save Japan, right. Or Korea or right. something like that. Um, but once again, they come here to play the top, right. So play the top level. Um, so there's a, there's an adjustment period. You don't necessarily have to have that other players have, you know, um, just, I think it's funny. Like it, this is totally off topic here, but I had a scout say to me the other day that one of the reasons that um, Osaki Yoshida has kind of stumbled a little bit in the second half is he's not used to all the cross country flights. You know, it's like, it's little things like that that are like the human element of things that we don't necessarily think about. And I guess like the bigger point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, as much as we love to watch, you know, international players succeed here in the United States, I think at times um, we romanticize their struggle to get here. And don't necessarily take a step back and look at it with a clear head and say, why does it have to be this way? We do that a lot in the United States with our own systems and everything else. I don't know if we're as, as good as that with some of the things that are adjacent to the United States. This is an adjacent situation, right? Right. Um, and yeah, it's always something that's that's bothered me about the game. Um, not a topic I, I get into a lot because it does frustrate me. Um but I think that the, the going back to the root of this conversation, why we started having this is it was somebody romanticizing the Dominican development path and not necessarily identifying the context and all of the other pitfalls and speed bumps and all the other things that they have to deal with that are pretty crappy. Yeah, it's a touchy subject um, and at times a very dark subject, but I feel like it's a necessary subject to touch on. So uh you know, Sam, while you might feel that this is pointed towards you, I do appreciate the population stats that you threw at us because I think it spurred a meaningful conversation. Um, I know both Jeff and myself know some people that we're going to hope to get on here to talk about in maybe a little bit more detail what's going on on the international side of things. Um, and, you know, even, you know, in part two, I, we haven't even touched sport popularity, right? Like, you know, that, that's a factor too. You know, you look at Australia, you know, Travis Bazzano, we, we had him on, uh, I think you talked to him separately. I talked yeah, to him separately. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, and when we talked to um, Andrew Rydell, yeah. you know, he talked about how baseball is the 16th or 17th most popular sport in Australia. That's why you don't have a ton of Australian big leaguers. Like I'm, that's a, that's a huge variable, right? In the yeah. United States, baseball's three and in the Dominican Republic, it's one and it's a resounding one. So that's, that's a completely different discussion. Um, and then, you know, I think separate from the discussion of the DR versus the United States, I do want to go a little bit deeper on, um, you know, baseball being a country club sport here in the United States. Cause I think there's a lot of well-intentioned money being thrown towards reviving baseball in inner cities and um, yeah. different things on that front. I just, I think it's a little bit of a losing battle. So we can talk about that at a later date. Uh, Jeff, I think this has been, yeah, I, I hope people who listen to this fully appreciate what we just dove into. But I think this has been one of our probably more in-depth media conversations that we've had. Um, and it, we're not going to finish. There's no other way to finish it than with a review of Capriati's uh, <laughs> chicken chipotle crunch. 
Matt's very mad at me because uh, I went on this diet uh, about a month and a half ago, and I've been pretty much eating straight vegan since uh, the beginning of August. And Matt is like disappointed in me. He wants me to make a steak. It's coming. Yeah, I, I tried. I got, way, I got my way in with the doctor soon, man. I'm in. I'm in great fighting shape. I feel uh, amazing. I uh, much. I'm energetic. I'm uh, much less weighed down. <laughs> I think it was what I was eating, man. I ate way too much cheese and, and fatty meats. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, what you're missing out on, and at some point, you know, maybe you come out of your vegan uh, phase or maybe not, the uh, chicken chipotle crunch cheesesteak situation at Capriati's. I I finally got away from the hot bobby to try something else, and it this is just as good. Capriati's sponsors. Dude, forget the pregame at the Pats game I'm going to. Uh, thank you. By the way, I'm going to give my son those tickets for his birthday next week. Uh, going to the Commanders-Patriots game. First time going to a Pats game in about three years. First time for my little guy. He's eight years old. Um, there's Capriotti's there, man, at uh, at Patriot Place. I'm going to – I think we. I think screw the parking lot, man. We're not going to – we're not going to – we're not going to tailgate. We're going to go to Capriotti's and crush a sandwich, man, and then walk into the stadium. Hey, they've got a whole vegetarian section. Impossible cheesesteak, vegetarian chicken cheesesteak, vegetarian I'm, turkey. I'm eating meat by Thanksgiving, dude. <laughs> gobble, gobble. You know, ramp down to ramp back up. But anyway, all right. That's, uh, that's good stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week with another one. Here we go, man. Yeah, God bless. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.